get to introduce a very uh, special missionary to me. Um, we got to spend 16 days with him in Myanmar um, back in December, Jason and I. Um, he's the one, he's the missionary we support in that area that is doing the great work. We got to baptize all the people, all the people got saved. Um, so he's in town today. We're doing a little bit of help with him, with his ministry, doing some videos and such tomorrow. So we thought while he was here that we'd give him the opportunity to go him up here and, and share what God has on his heart. Uh, so he's got some pictures to show you, and he's got a word to share with you. So let's give him a round of applause for Brother Ben Bounds. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get right into it, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful salvation you provided for us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for Temple Baptist Church and their generous support of our ministry for 14, 15 years now. Father, we pray that you bless our time of fellowship, bless the, the ministry that you called us to, help the people to get a better grasp of what we're doing and carrying out your great commission in the 1040 window. And we'd be careful to praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Good old southern greeting. Howdy. Hey, there we go. Now, I teach my people overseas that same greeting too, you know. Uh, I work mostly with the people in the rural areas because I are one, all right? Uh, how many of you ever heard of the hick from the sticks? Okay, well, you're looking at one right here, okay? Somebody asked me out in our vestibule a while ago, well, where are you from, Mr. Bounds? I said, nowhere, right in the middle of it. I grew up in the piney woods of South Mississippi. You ever heard of Hattiesburg? All right, all right, for you football fans, that's Brett Favre's town. Well, that's where I was hatched, but I was raised about 30 miles south of there, okay, down the southwest corner of Forest County. We got our mail from the next county, Lamar County, a little town called Lumberton. City of about a, about a thousand then. I think it may be a whopping 2,000 by now. But uh, that's, uh, that's our native home. But we've lived in Middle Tennessee since 1976. Um, I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. My father is a World War II veteran, fought the Japs from the South Pacific. He's one of those marine island hoppers, and he's still living. He's 96 years old. We'll be June the 8th, and uh, I'm blessed to have him. He taught the adult Sunday school class from the time I was born, I guess, till he was 85 years old. Gardened three acres until he was 91. Did his cultivating with a large mammoth donkey that I'd bought him for his 79th birthday. He grew up walking behind one, okay? He was the oldest of eight kids. The next three were girls, so guess who did all the hard farm work? Yeah. All right, but you know, God uses absolutely everything in our background to prepare us for the ministry he has for us. Um, the hard work for one thing, okay, but uh, being an outdoorsman, living in the country. Now, you, you know the rule, you farm people know the rule, work comes before play. No coon hunting, no fishing, no swimming until the work's done, right? All right, but once the work is done, we, we worked hard and we played hard too, night and day. We'd fish by day or run catfish lines, coon hunt at night, whatever, and, and climbing the trees. You know, we grew up without air conditioning, so in the summertime, it's cooler outside than it is on the inside of the house, you know? So that's where we did most of our playing, and one of our favorite pastimes was, was, was climbing trees. And the older you got, the bigger tree you'd climb. And they just, any tree was a challenge. And if somebody said, I dare you, just count it climb, you know? You're going to do it. You're going to do it. But that came in handy even at night when you go coon hunting, you know. Somebody's got to climb that tree and punch that coon out because the dead coon doesn't fight too good. You don't want to shoot him out. <laughs> How many of you ever climbed a tree and punched a coon out? <laughs> hey, okay. Got one or two? Anybody over here? Oh, there's one. All right. All right. Good deal. Good deal. You know what we're talking about now. Now, I think I told you the last time I spoke here what my two favorite hymns were. Anybody remember my two favorite hymns? The first one was Victory in Jesus. Who remembers the second one? A country boy can survive. <laughs> well, uh, about uh, in 19, when was it? About 1906, that's 30 years, no, 19, no, 2016, that's when it was. That was my 40th anniversary of living in Middle Tennessee, Okay. I've finally got my official Tennessee title after living there 40 years, okay? Now I am a hydromatic mountaineer. Anyone know what that, what that is in plain English? We're, you're close. You're close. All right. Uh, any of you old-timers remember the, what, the, what the first call, the automatic transmissions when the cars started coming out? 
Hydromatic, okay? Now, you could drive that car without shifting. So a hydromatic mountaineer is a shiftless hillbilly, okay? <laughs> so that's my official Tennessee title now. All right, now let's get right into our pictures here. You see my lovely wife, Linda, there. August 30th, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Got married right out of kindergarten. Thank you, thank you. And uh, she has kept home quite a bit. She has an older, mentally handicapped brother who's in failing health, and, and we take care of him at our home since, have since 1987. So uh, let's move right along right here. If I can point this thing in the right direction. Whoops, I hit the wrong button. This way. I think. What the, ah, there we go. It's starting to move. Maybe. Try it again. On the right. Wow. Okay, lots of fancy stuff there. That's our sending church, Metro Baptist Church in Goodnessville. If you're heading through Nashville on the north side at next exit 97, look to the right. You'll see this beige complex of buildings with a bright green metal roof. That's my home church there, Pastor Carl. Uh, uh, Phil Martin is my senior pastor there. I was on staff from 80, from 93 to 01, seven and a half years as evangelism outreach leader. Been doing the foreign mission work ever since 2001. We got our training working in uh, six countries in Southeast Africa initially down in this area. And the whole time God kept pulling us up into this 1040 window up here, okay? Uh, three quick things about it if you're not familiar with it. Number one, it's the greatest concentration of the world's population. And by the way, I have a lot of these brochures on the table out here. If you don't have one, please pick one up. I need more prayer warriors, all right? And the first section in there gives you a little more information about that 1040 window. There's now 69 countries in there that keep dividing. And uh, only one country now allows outside missionaries in, and that's Thailand. Until last summer, Cambodia was allowing outside missionaries in on long-term missionary visas. But missionary Dan Powers, last summer, who was a missionary full-time in Cambodia, was refused a renewal of his missionary visa. So Cambodia is now closed to outside Christian missionaries. So that is what uh, prompts the type of ministry we do. It's not my calling to be in the country full-time because I'm not allowed to that. Unless I were in the country, one of those countries doing humanitarian work, such as running an orphanage, practicing medicine, drilling water wells, building houses, teaching English, teaching agriculture, anything that helps the people educationally, financially, materially, health-wise, but no gospel. Why? It's because of their uh, uh, religious makeup. The uh, top country along here are your predominantly Muslim countries, okay? And I hit a, a different button there. Let's see if I can go back. There we go. Uh, India and Nepal are your predominantly Hindu countries, okay? That's the part of India right there as well called Nagaland. Southeast Asia, those five countries are Buddhist. And, of course, Red China is communist along with uh, uh, North Korea and uh, Vietnam. So that's the primary reason they don't allow missionaries in on full-time missionary visas. And uh, the ones that are there are greatly persecuted, and I'm talking about the nationals, for evangelizing their people, trying to convert them to Christianity. And that's what the Great Commission is all about. For God so loved the world, the whole world, that has sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus came, he shed his blood on the cross for our sins, died in our place, was buried, raised again the third day that we might be saved, and has given us the commission, particularly the church, the commission to take his gospel, his soul-saving, life-changing gospel to every creature in the whole world, even those that don't want us there. God's laws always supersede man's laws. Amen? All right. Now let's see if we can move on right here. Um, your two, two of your staff members joined me this past December. Actually, they got there the last day of uh, November. And uh, here we are on the Riverside Slum area that you might have read about or seen in our newsletters. It's on the banks of the Airwater River on the northern edge of Mandalay, right in the center of Myanmar. That's old Burma. Mandalay is the ancient uh, uh, capital there. Uh, 
God just kind of stuck my nose in that about two and a half years ago and gave us a burden for working with those people. Uh, there's t there were 10,000 people in a one-mile stretch in this one area right here. But we discovered this last trip, the local government has closed off half of it, and a lot of those people have been forced out because of that. Some of them are living just in tents that, uh, that you'll see. You think, well, aren't those tents? <laughs> no, those are shanties or hovels, whatever you want to call them. But it's the poorest slum that I've ever been in. And, yes, I've been a lot of, spent a lot of time in India as well. I've been through Kolkata. So I know something about those slums and, and working in those countries in Southeast Africa. So they arrived on a, on a Thursday afternoon, just in time to hear me teach the last hour of uh, the third day of a four-day pastor's conference, Bible seminar I was teaching, had about average 55 that week. So we let them have a good night's sleep, woke them up the next morning, and threw them in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> now we had them prepared. Didn't have any surprises for them. They knew what they was going to be teaching. They knew they did a lot of preaching. Well, I finished the fourth day of that Bible conference. They went with our national director to start a Milk of the Word Bible conference, two-day Bible conference for these Riverside slum people that we've been working with for about two and a half years now. And we've seen very, very few converts. But, you know, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So as I missionaries that are there, and we're now supporting six of them in that area, four up into this last term. We added two more on this trip. As they go in and, and witness to them, now that's not the only place that they're serving. They're, Mandalay is a city of two million people. And you can imagine all the suburban villages and the outskirts too. So there's plenty of room, plenty of room to work and plenty of people to work with. But uh, they, they're, they're coming to the Bible studies. 41 families have been coming for about, about two years now. They've been coming and listening. A few of them have been saved. So I'm thinking, Lord, we need a harvest. We need to do something special to see these people cross the line and trust Christ as Savior. So we talked up a, a two-day Bible conference just for them. And that's what we had Dustin and Jason teaching while they were there, okay? Uh, okay, here we are inside a Methodist, uh, a Wesleyan Methodist church, been there 107 years, right across the street and the, and the um, boat from the ancient capital, fortified wall city. Um, these two young ladies had helped us with the music and the pastor conference we had going, and so they're teaching these people their first Christian courses, and this is the first time that any of them have ever been inside a Christian church. They're pure Buddhist, pure Burmese and pure Buddhist, okay? So here they are. And... Uh, Dustin is gifted at giving the gospel and teaching the Bible in a, in a very straightforward and simplistic way and is particularly good at using the whiteboard for his illustrations. Jason is an excellent teacher as well, but he capitalizes on props for his illustrations and things there. He was so good at it, as a matter of fact, I used him for a prop one day. Uh-oh, did I lose it? Uh-oh, that's another prop. See that sheet up there? He's illustrating to these orphanage kids there that when you're, when you're under, in the will of God, you're under God's protection. And he's throwing wadded up paper balls at them, you know, as they're coming through. If they're under the sheet, they're okay, okay? Need illustration for the kids. So I used him one day as a, uh, uh, as a prop <laughs> with one of the lessons that I taught on 2 Corinthians 5.20. I'll let you read it on your own and see if you can make the connection with that. If you don't, you ask Justin, uh, uh, Jason, sorry, and he'll make the connection for you. Now, we had prayed and asked God for a harvest. I had, in, in my newsletters, my emails I sent out, I had people praying that God would give us a harvest with these people. So we've been pouring money through, through flood relief and other needs, thousands of dollars, into this area, along with the gospel, especially with the gospel. You see, we're not a benevolent organization as so many mission agencies have become, but we have in our Constitution and bylaws that we do benevolence when it promotes the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's such a case as this. So on the first day, on that Friday, they had 27 professions of faith. Praise the Lord. He answered. Amen. Now, I asked God to give us just one good day. He gave us two. On the second day, they had 30 professions of faith. Isn't that great? 
That was a Saturday. And then on Sunday, we had the first ever Sunday Bible study or church service in that slum on the banks of the Irrawaddy River. We're about a, no more than 150 feet from the water's edge. And that's a huge river. It's much bigger than the Tennessee. It's comparable to the Mississippi River, okay? All right. So uh, uh, we had our first Sunday service there. There was Jason preaching away and baptized the first 15 converts, and the Arawati Baptist Church was born. Now, salvation, amen. Salvation is the new birth, is entrance into the family of God. Baptism is the ceremonial door into the church of Jesus Christ. So when we baptize those first converts, we have a church. And one of our missionaries, Brother Alwyn, is pastor over that church, okay? Now, this is only three, the three men that were baptized that day. There's another 12 ladies baptized, all right? We see the one in the red shirt, the gold shirt, and the one here with no shirt. As soon as we came out of the water, I had a little meeting with them. And you see it, Dustin and Jason with us there, and Brother Paul and the Blue, our national director, and this is Brother Alwyn, the missionary who serves as pastor. I wanted to find out right off if any of them or all of them would qualify as their disciple to be either deacon or pastor. Now, understand what I'm trying to say. We must not go beyond Scripture. So many people in, in our churches today have had serious problems in life, domestic problems. That's resulted in a, in a divorce and eventually a remarriage. There are so many things you can still do to serve the Lord. You can teach Sunday school. You can sing in the choir. You can be an usher. You can park cars. You can do the jail ministry, uh, nursing home ministry, uh, your recovery ministry. So many things you can do. There's only two areas that limit you, and that's serving as deacon or serving as pastor. And so I was trying to find out what the status was here right off the bat. Two of the men have already been divorced and remarried. And I encourage them the same way I just shared with you. There's so much you can do to serve the Lord. The one in the chartreuse shirt, yellow, whatever, is the only one that's married to his first wife still. So he's the only one that qualifies as deacon or pastor as he's discipled, okay? So I just had a clear understanding with him right off the bat with that. That's something I was taught when I was a teenager. The best way to, to avoid a misunderstanding is to have a clear understanding to begin with. So that's what we were just establishing with that point, okay? And it's just biblical, okay? All right. So uh, Jason and Dustin and I had just a fantastic time of ministry together and fellowship together. Kind of got an idea of what Paul and Timothy and Titus must have enjoyed serving the Lord together. I'm not, I'm not equating myself with Paul. Don't misunderstand me. <laughs> I couldn't touch the hem of his garment. But, you know, just the idea of serving in foreign lands together, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing people saved and, and baptized and, and churches uh, uh, brought into, into being there. Now, let's go to North Vietnam. And uh, I say North, Northern Vietnam. There's only one Vietnam. You know that. And it's one big country. It's one communist country. We've been working in Southern Vietnam since 2007. We have a, a few men there we've been supporting for, well, that many years, 12 years, I guess, now. But we've had a desire to move into the northern area. So I got to take my first survey trip in the northern Vietnam, November of 2017. That survey trip and then my December trip, 2018, we finally got it all together, and we're starting to support men there. Now, the, one of the first keys of a ministry of this type <clears throat> is having the right man as your director, a national. And this young pastor that you're seeing there is just that man. Pardon me while I get a drink. Pastor Kim Kung Nguyen. <clears throat> I have to say that slowly. <laughs> it's not your typical Alabama name, is it? <laughs> All right. Uh, now, up until about six months ago, 
He had served as an associate pastor for a large church there in Hanoi. And he'd gone with us on that first February trip. We're going to take that trip here in just a minute. Um, but for about six months now, he, he's had his own church that he's pastored. And it's about an hour and a half train ride away, closer to the Pacific, in a, in a large, very modern city there. So he is uh, uh, very well qualified, very well experienced, razor sharp. This is inside his church. Uh, it's December, so Christmas is coming. And I got to give the testimony and share what Faith International Partners is wanting to do there in northern Vietnam to take the gospel to those people. And his people are just, just clapped and cheered and said amen. They were so grateful to hear of a ministry coming in alongside their people to reach more of their people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the population of Vietnam is about 94 million, and it's only 8% Christian. But now that 8% includes anyone that names the name of Christ, whether they pray to Mary or whether they're one of the cult groups that denies Jesus Christ's deity. So actual born again is probably less than 4%, okay? Or no more than 4%. All right, so uh, this is our national director. Here he is with his lovely wife. He's, Asians don't show their age very much. He's 32 years old, and uh, this is Sunday dinner. She prepared for us that day. There are his two fine sons, and uh, okay, there's another guy walking the picture. On that first trip in 17, we started with about 25 or 30 men. Some of them slipped out before we got the picture taken. And the gentleman we were working with is this guy with a great big smile on his face right here. It's Brother Dot. He is one of the teachers of the Bible college there in Hanoi. And these are all graduates of his classes there, okay? And, and these are the ones that we're, we're starting with, but we're not restricted to just those. So we take these men through the application and orientation process, and then we, we head out. We, just, we, we stop at what restaurants along the way for meals. And so here we are, uh, Brother Kuhn, myself, and Brother Dot, uh, 2017. And, uh, well, that slide wasn't supposed to show up. Let me move on down here a little bit. Um, hmm. Those pictures were supposed to be hidden. Let me go through this quickly. All right, here we go. So here, now we're in northern Vietnam, and we're leaving the main highway and heading up into the mountain regions, okay? Um, so much, well, in your, in your third world countries, 85% of the population lives in the rural areas, okay? Uh, and, and, hey, I'm a country boy, so I'm at home there, all right? Besides that, I, I'm an Eagle Scout, so I don't have to worry about getting stranded and starving to death or whatever, you know? I know how to survive, okay? All right. Uh, don't forget my hymn, too. All right. So um, we're, we're going up the mountain trails. The monsoons have just started, so everything's muddy and slick, and uh, you got to push them. And we were three or four miles up these mountain trails to get to this Hmong church up here in the mountains. Now, that's a brand-new church building. Every stick of building material had to be carried up that trail on somebody's back. It's remote, okay? All right, so uh, we visited the building, and then we went up another three miles or so to the pastor's home, higher up still. Now, this was the meeting place for the church until they got the building. We call them house churches, and it is no new concept in scriptures. Did you know that uh, they were all house churches until the 3rd century A.D.? There was no such thing as a church building into the third century. So it's certainly nothing new to God, okay? And it's a very practical way of growing by, by multiplication, okay? And, and you know what buildings cost. <laughs> so look at all the money it saves there, okay? All right. Uh, all right, now, okay, here we're going up another mountain to another Hmong church in a different province. We covered six provinces in six days on this trip. And as you see, it's quite muddy, and Brother Gwen didn't have such a good luck on the trail with his motorbike, okay? But nobody got hurt, thank goodness, all right? Now, look, we're getting up there with the clouds. We're going four or five miles up there. And I got a scripture verse that, you know, I found out was true, literally true in Isaiah. 
But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I walked the whole way up. And when we came back down, I literally ran all the way back down. <clears throat> to God be the glory, he's chosen to bless me with very good health and strength. June 29th, I'll be 72 years old. That was a tree farm I grew up in South Mississippi. We grew telephone poles, longleaf yellow pine. A lot of you folks know what those are. And uh, so, you know, like I said earlier, tree climbing is just a snap for me. My tent-making job, that's what Paul did, you know, when missionaries went low, he made tents. I don't literally make tents, but we use that term for missionaries and pastors who are bivocational. I'm a tree surgeon by trade. I'm still climbing, topping, trimming, bringing down trees as big as they grow east of the Mississippi. It puts a lot of extra money on the mission field. Helps keep me strong and healthy. Helps me keep my girlish figure. <laughs> and keeps me healthy for the work. Amen? All right. Of course, I was very active in athletics as well. Did all those school sports and our family traditional sport. I grew up in the ring. Two-time Mississippi State Golden Bluffs boxing champ and other things from that too. But anyway... Uh, take care of God's temple. He takes care of you. Amen. All right. Stay fit. So um, now here we are at that house church up on top of the mountain. Okay. Uh, with this, another Hmong church inside with the pastor. Okay. The gentleman on the left is our, is our truck driver for this trip. Good Christian guy as well. Now you're looking, look at how large this, this front room is. This is the pastor's home. But that front room is so large to accommodate his house church. And uh, the, the husband and wife might have one little room off to the side, but the kids, they'll just sleep scattered around in the front room. And they have warm blankets because <laughs> you can throw a cat through some of those cracks in the wall over there, you know. The houses aren't sealed. There's no insulation. <laughs> and forget trying to heat it. You're throwing another blanket, you know. All right. Life in a third world country. We had passed this river bridge going up to this one. Now we're going back because there's another Hmong church we want to go up on the bank and visit. We sent some scouts ahead, and there was a policeman there at the entry point to this bridge. It's a motorbike and walk bridge. It's not sturdy enough for, for vehicles. The government doesn't want foreigners in the remote areas but they want to sneak me in there so I can get a good look at the ministry, all right? So they, they phoned back, said, yep, we got the police here. we got to take go to Plan B. So they, that's uh, what those bridges look like, okay? So they took me on downstream about three miles and put me and Brother Coon on a bamboo raft and took us across the river. That was Brother Coon. Took across the river. <laughs> what a view. <laughs> Kind of like the south end of a northbound chicken, isn't it? <laughs> All right. And then we had to climb that steep bluff about a quarter of a mile to get up to that, uh, to that uh, Hmong church. Okay, nice building. But this is another house church, okay, where we met with uh, some of the key church leaders and other local pastors and church planners or church planning missionaries up there. And, and these are men that we're looking to, to support so we can send them to the uh, unreached areas. Vietnam has 79 different tribes in addition to four Vietnamese groups. You see, <laughs> the Vietnamese people of the south can't even talk to the Vietnamese people of the north. The language and the accent is so different they can't communicate. Even the university students have told me that. So, we learned at uh, the sixth province we visited with a bishop there, that's a good Bible term, several interesting things. Number one, we ask him, how many churches are, are under you in this province? 200. Wow. Well, this province is pretty well reached, isn't it? Well, not really. Okay, how many of these 200 pastors or church planners have a full four-year Bible college education? Oh, less than 10%. So out of 200, we're talking something in the teens? Well, how much training do the rest of them have? Well, about 18 months, or at least 18 months. We have extension courses that are available for them from the Bible College in Hanoi. So guess what? 
These fellows need a bishop over them. They need someone to keep them on the straight and narrow, to keep them doctrinally straight. Because remember, the cults are there. False doctrine is there. And there's sometimes the temptation to mix in some of their animists, some of their spirit worship stuff, in with Christianity. And we believe they can keep in the church of Jesus Christ doctrinally pure. Amen? So they need that bishop over them to keep them straight. Was not Paul a bishop over all those churches that he planted all around the Mediterranean world? He was forever writing letters, epistles we call them, back to them, correcting doctrinal errors and other issues. And did he not go back and visit those churches on successive mission trips to see how they do? I don't have any problem with that. All right. So I asked him this question. Well, how many tribes are in your province? Province would be like about the size of two or three counties put together here. There's 97 provinces in Vietnam. It's a huge country, 25 kilometers long. That's larger than the state of California, to kind of put it in perspective for you. We have 10 tribes. Four of them are completely unreached. Now, the Roman Catholics have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Aren't the Roman Catholics there? No. Well, what about the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses? No. How about the Charismatics? No. They're completely unreached. They're either Buddhist or animist and have been for millennia, generation after generation after generation. But guess what? Jesus died for them too. And the only way anybody is going to get to heaven is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they must have the gospel preached to them. Okay, you have four tribes that are completely unreached. Why haven't you sent missionaries into them? We don't have the money. We don't have the finances. Okay, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for, to help send your men into these unreached tribes and tribal areas with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my national director is now seeking out these men that are trained, experienced. I just got a new application in today. The pastor's been in ministry 20 years, the church planner, and has already planted 30 churches. We've got experienced men. We're not, amen. Thank you. Thank you. So God has given us good qualified men. You know, Jesus said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. We have the laborers. But how should they preach except they be sent? That's my ministry, raising money to support so they can, you know, devote time to ministry instead of devoting all their time in their rice paddies and taking care of their animals just to feed their families. And any man's first responsibility is his family. We know that. You disqualify yourself from ministry even if you don't take care of your family. Amen? Both materially, financially, and physically or spiritually. All right? So here we go. Um, that, is the, uh, that is the ultimate goal right here is reaching the unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Got to preach to these men after enjoying a good meal to them. Now, they called ahead when we were ready to leave, and the police had left the checkpoint. So they take us back. A very, you know, everywhere there's a holler or a stream coming into the river, you got a long holler, and these motorcycle trails go all the way up and down those holler. It must have been 10 miles <laughs> following those, those hollers. On these, and sometimes on this almost a cliff edge to get back. To, can you see the bridge? To get back to the bridge to come back across there. Was I nervous? No. Because for five years when I was in Southern California, the deacons there got me into dirt bike riding in the desert <laughs> and in the mountains. So I, so I was perfectly home sitting on the back of a motorbike. God does all things well, doesn't he? He does. All right. Now, there's two places they snuck me into under cover of darkness. We're here going into the Deo tribe. There's two tribes that are spelled the same. One's the Deo tribe, and then there's the Deo tribe. <laughs> it's pronounced differently with a, with a descending scale there, okay? All right, this is the Deo tribe. Kind of interesting, they, are, they told me, now this is the poorest of all the tribes of Vietnam. I don't have time to show you the pictures of the ladies, but maybe Brother Dustin can show you those later. I'm giving him a lot of those pictures. But the ladies were the most elegant, the most graceful, the most charming, the most poised of, of any of the other tribal ladies groups I've met. Isn't that interesting? What a contrast there, you know. So you'll get to meet those later. 
All right. Then we, uh, the next day, they take me 17 miles up a mountain to a Hmong church and a secret meeting place. This is not even the regular meeting place for the church. This is a secret meeting place. Now, why so secret? The police, the authorities, have paid informants everywhere. And they stay very hush-hush about it. So they knew if they snuck me into a restricted area, if they met at the regular church meeting place, some informant would blow the whistle on us. So we meet in this, and we didn't even leave the village until after midnight. So we get there about 1 o'clock in the morning. We have a time of fellowship with them. The ladies fix us a delicious meal. And it's partially prepared already. And uh, my, that place was, was full. And uh, this is the pastor in the center. This is the closest of 12 churches that he's over. The others are even farther from the beaten path. He started seven of those churches himself. After we, they gave us about three hours sleep. We got up about 5.30 in the morning, headed uh, back down the mountain under cover of darkness. You can see the little village barely showing the lights down there. And it's just turning daylight. We get to this little, um, what do they call them, tea shop for breakfast. It's just turning daylight. And, and you notice the pastor and the other gentleman to the right aren't, aren't looking too happy right now. We hadn't been there more than 15 minutes and his phone rang and the police had called. Meet us at the police headquarters. One of his choice members turned out to be an informant and had ratted on us already. Life in a communist country. He's quite bold. He said, I know my religious freedoms. I know the laws of the land. I've not violated a law and I'm not coming. He's quite bold. He stood up to them. And far as I know, he didn't suffer any repercussions from it, but uh, many of them do. All of my guys in the South have been persecuted, beaten, jailed, and or imprisoned for doing evangelism work. Now, if they were to just stay to themselves in a church meeting place and never get out and evangelize, they wouldn't get in near to so much trouble. That way they know the church, Christianity, wouldn't spread. But they know the Great Commission. They want to see their fellow countrymen go to heaven with them. And the only way that's going to happen is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. All right. All right, I mentioned these statistics right here already. Let's uh, move on. Here's our plan of action. Um, and it's already underway, as we talked about. Our national director, Brother Kung, is locating and enlisting our trained and experienced men. He's submitting the translated applications to us. He'll provide continuous oversight of them and their ministry, and he'll distribute the support funds each quarter and collect their quarterly written reports that we require. Those are translated to English, and we send them out to everyone who helps support them, whether it's a church or individual or Sunday school class or youth group or whatever, okay? Faith International Partners provides monthly support, uh, and it's sent over quarterly. They provide ongoing Bible training, uh, seminars. We were getting one planned for this trip. And somewhere and some choice that they'll, they'll work out, I'll be teaching a three or four day Bible conference for these uh, missionaries. Uh, we provide the annual on-site accountability. Uh, sometimes we'll go into these areas twice in a year. The last couple of years we've only gone once. It just depends on the need. Okay, once a church has been established in one of these uh, village areas, We'll, we'll acquire a piece of land in that village area. We're talking about an unreached tribe or an unreached tribal area. Hopefully, by the time we get a house church established, either the, maybe the village headman will be one to Christ or another one of the property owners, perhaps they will donate a piece of land. If we have to buy it, we've already checked, that'll cost about $2,000. And then we'll have to build that missionary a home and move his family in to be there, to be the pastor of that church, and that's another $6,000. So we're looking at $8,000 initial investment once they have a house church established. You can't just go in and buy property and build a house and start evangelizing. You may not be accepted by that village, and that's nothing new. Jesus even told the disciples when he sent them out by twos, if you're not received in a house, if you're not received in a, visit, a village, shake the dust off your feet. 
as a testimony against them and move on. Two years ago, one of our men in Myanmar evangelized a mountain village of Burmese people, Buddhist, and they stoned him. They didn't kill him, but they broke out his four front teeth. We paid his dental bill. We take care of our missionaries and immediate families for injuries and sickness of this type. His greatest disappointment was, though, his, his talking Bible, solar-powered talking Bible we had provided for them, was also crushed by the stoning and destroyed. We got him another one of those, too. So the point is they're not always accepted. They must first be accepted of a village, get a work established, then we can move the man in. Now, we never support a man just to pastor one church. We support them to be an eternal missionary. So he'll begin to evangelize other villages in that tribal region or tribal group, and he'll be training the young Timothys, working with him. Somebody's got to become the pastor of each of these new churches. So with the ongoing discipleship program, these young men are helping them to establish those churches through evangelism and discipleship, and they will eventually become pastors of those churches, and it just keeps multiplying. That is the plan, okay? All right. We're partnering with those men. Your church is partnering with us. You know about the matching funds by now probably that, that you, you've offered us to help evangelize these people. And for every soul that is one, for every church that is planted, because you give to your church's faith promise missions plan, God gives you equal credit for the work done. And that's scriptural. Let's see if I've got that verse up here next, okay? No, we'll come to that verse later. Now, getting into a little more of a sermon for you. Hmm. I'm reminded of the story. The little boy went to bed one night, and he'd been in bed about 30 minutes an hour, and then there was a loud clump. Thump! <laughs> the little guy had fallen out of bed. <laughs> Hit his head on the floor. <laughs> He's crying. So his parents come running in, turn the light off, say, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I fell out of the bed, hurt my head. What made, why do you think you fell out of the bed? I think I went to sleep too close to where I got in. <laughs> A lot of Christians do that. You get saved. Born again. You're a child of God. But you go to sleep too close to where you got in. Becoming a Christian is not the final goal. That's the starting point. That's step one. It's a growing process for the rest of your life. And I'm still growing. God has just stretched my faith the last two years. Wow, not even, well, yeah, we started that Bible project program almost three years ago now. And last July, we saw it fulfilled, 96,000. 40 John Romans scripture portions and Adonai Judson's Burmese translation from Myanmar and 19,359 whole Burmese Bibles delivered to our men. And thank you. For, to God be the glory. Amen. Wow. So God keeps stretching my faith too. And I, I, I try to keep growing. And to grow, you got to eat well. You know that, don't you? You got to eat well spiritually too. Amen. This verse tells us, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We get it from the Bible through reading ourselves and being in God's house to being taught by older brothers and sisters, okay? All right. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So let's think about our Christian growth. Let's think about stretching our faith so that we can have a desire, a vision to do even more for Christ than we've done in the past, okay? Here's a great verse, Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, boy, that takes a lot of growing there. When children pray, what do they usually pray for? It's kind of like a Christmas list, isn't it? Hmm? What do most Christians pray for? Things. Material things. 
I did that for decades until I grew spiritually and I grew in knowledge of God's Word and understanding of what we're supposed to do and grow and how we please God. You see, the key is that last phrase. No, no, a little higher up. Delight thyself in the Lord. That's the key. Your desires need to match God's will, God's purpose for you as a Christian. God's, and, and God's purpose for you as a Christian is directly connected with your church and the commission Jesus has given you as a church. Wow. Didn't that put a new twist on things? You see, children ask for new bicycles and new video games and all this new technology stuff and whatever. And baby Christians, uh, um, we men ask for new bass boats and four-wheelers. You know the difference between men and boys, don't you? <laughs> Size of the shoes and the price of the toys, yeah. You ladies are thinking about new shoes and handbags and new wardrobes and new furniture and a bigger house and a newer car. Hey, now God knows we need a certain amount of that. Amen? But that's not where our focus is supposed to be. Our focus is supposed to be asking for things, desiring things in the Lord. Look at Jesus' instructions and how we should pray and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name I will do is there a difference in doing something and giving something or receiving something big difference sitting there we're talking action here we're talking service whatsoever ye shall ask in my name that I will do that the father may be glorified in the son John 14 14 if you ask anything in my name I will do it didn't say give it. He said do it. Let me go back a few years and give you a, an illustration. It was my first trip to Africa, 2001. 30 miles out in the edge of the Chocoponfa Mountains in central Malawi. The regional director there walked us down in this village to this river. It was about 75 feet across. You could tell it was deep. There's a swinging bridge across there. Did you see that swinging bridge? Yes. Now, it, it was about a meter wide and had one string on the left side. <laughs> no banisters of any kind. And if, you, and if you'd walk too heavy, that thing get to bucking with you. You see those ladies come across there with a baby on the back and a basket in each hand and one overhead, soft-stepping that thing. Keep that bridge... <laughs> He said, on the other side of that bridge, up in those mountains, there's 200 villages that I have never even gone to. I had a desire at that moment to take the gospel up in that region. And I prayed, and I asked for it. And two years later, I led a mountain biking team, five of us Americans, and nine African church planters rode mountain bikes 30 kilometers up into the Chalkaponfa Mountains and planted two churches in central locations of several villages we evangelized. Wow. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desire of your heart. I had a burning desire to see that accomplished, and God granted it. Why? It glorified him. It glorified His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, and He was pleased. And I'm thrilled, and I'm still standing in awe about what God did with that. That's probably my most memorable experience of my six years working in Southeast Africa. There were many good ones, but that one was really outstanding. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This is given in conjunction with that promise in Philippians, starting with verse 15, where Paul is writing a thank you letter to the church of Philippi for, for supporting him and his mission work financially. He says, when you give, 
It's not that I desire a, a gift from you, he says, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. That's where he's telling us what I mentioned earlier. For every soul that's won to Christ, for every church that's planted, you who give to make it possible, we be given reward for it for all eternity. You'll be right up there with the Apostle Paul. You'll be right up there with our men in northern Vietnam or Myanmar or Cambodia or India who are hazarding their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ because you made it possible. For how should they preach except they be sent? Romans 10, 15. Our, one of our theme verses there, okay? Whoops. Uh, something jumped on me, sorry. Ah, boy, it made a big jump, didn't it? <clears throat> the Word of God is our most powerful tool. Ephesians 6 calls it the sword of the Spirit. Hebrews says, for the Word of God is quick, that means it's alive, and it's powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints of the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We have a powerful spiritual weapon and God guarantees us success with it when we give it out, okay? So how can we fail with any endeavor we, we seek to perform for the cause of Christ? God is faithful in honoring His Word. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God guarantees Folks are going to get saved. I've never seen it fail. It's incredible. It's powerful. And I just believe in claiming those promises and stand in awe to watch Him work. Watch His Spirit work with that powerful Word of God. You can do the same whether you're witnessing to your neighbor across the street, across the back fence, the side fence, at work, the supermarket, wherever, out on church visitation. God is going to bless His Word. Here's another favorite verse. I don't have this one on the screen, but it's another one of those guarantees of our success in sharing the Word of God. You remember that beautiful story in John 15 where Jesus is talking about that it says, I am the vine, you're the branches, abide in me, and you'll bring forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And, and verse 8, he says, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bring forth much fruit. And abiding in Christ, and the key of abiding in Christ is staying in the Word. Okay? Staying in the Word. We get down to verse 16, and here's the promise. Jesus says, You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you, and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That's God's guarantee of your success in giving out His Word. How can you fail? How can we fail on our foreign missions endeavor with promises like that from God and we see Him do it every trip? You see it in action here in this church, which in Coma County, and who knows how many surrounding counties, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look how your church has grown. I remember when I first came here some 14, 15 years ago, you was running about 500. Brother Dustin tells me you're averaging about 2,200 now. That's phenomenal growth. That's God blessing His Word. You, you're witnessing of it, uh, your very selves here. The faithfulness, the fruitfulness, these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the Word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some an hundredfold. Wow. Wow. How effective is God's Word? My pastor is a fantastic preacher. He's a fantastic Bible teacher. I, I told him just recently, I've told him more than once, so Pastor, the only thing that, that marvels me is why Metro Baptist Church is not running 5,000. With the kind of teaching and preaching that you do, been there 25 years, we've got a nice church facility, we've seen that grow. But we can't break that 500 mark. That's the Spirit's doing. He gives each man differently. 
our responsibility is to be faithful to the gift that God has given us. We'll be blessed for our faithfulness in exercising that gift, not in the quantity, not in the volume. And he lets us know it's going to be that way. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Pastor Malcolm Carter's a 100-fold guy, isn't he? I guess my pastor's just a 30-fold guy. But hey, but this, guess what? Now, and even in given the, the, the parable of the talents, to one he gave five, and he earned five more. To one he gave two, he earned two more. Each man received the same commendation. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Whatever your gift, exercise it to the best of your ability, and you'll be blessed for your faithfulness, not for volume or quantity, okay? All right, great things from God's Word. Ask me. This is one of those verses that stretches my faith. Ask me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. My job at Metro Baptist Church for seven and a half years was evangelism outreach leader. I knocked on an average of 100 doors, no, a minimum of 100 doors every week. If we had a special service coming up, like if evangelist Tim Lee was coming or something like that, I would uh, shorten my witness time just to get more word out, and I'd knock on anywhere from 325 to 350 doors in that week, trying to get more people out for the meeting. But I got so tired of talking to people who didn't want to talk to me about the church, about the Lord, about the gospel. They'd heard it till they're sick of hearing it. They say the South is the Bible Belt and Nashville's the buckle, where the buckle has rusted. They'd, they'd tell me or call the church service, say, you knock on my door again and we'll call the police. They'll have signs on the door, leave literature on our door and we'll call the police. Gospel hardened. I began to pray, Lord, I don't want to go out like this. I want to talk to people who want to hear the gospel. I want to share the gospel with those who haven't heard and who, who want to hear it. That became my mantra. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. So for the last 19 years, God has allowed me to travel the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and mobilizing those people in these countries so they can do an even more effective job than I can because I'm an outsider. I'm a foreigner. You, you know how you people, you know how we Southerners treat outsiders? Ain't around here. <laughs> you know it's the truth, don't you? <laughs> That's the missionary on the foreign field. Ain't from around here. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> They're much more responsive to, the, <laughs> to their own people. They look the same, you know. They know the culture. They know the customs. Most importantly, they know the heart language. You've talked to the immigrants who speak in broken English. That's the American missionary over there. Oh, but he went to language school for a year and a half. Hey, honey, he'll be the rest of his life learning that language, mastering that language, okay? The guys are so much more effective than us, okay? All right, now. I don't know how many tens of thousands of people have come to Christ, hundreds of thousands of people in the 19 years that have been raising support for nationals to mobilize them. God keeps the records. You know, I throw a few out on quarterly reports and that sort of thing. We get it from the reports they send in, okay? But, uh, wow, wow. God's given me so many of the heathen as my internal reward inheritance. Paul says to, to the church at Thessalonica, you are our joy and crown. You're the product of our gospel. But he says, and, he, and, and even give you their land for an everlasting possession. I have 40 acres with my name on it in South Mississippi. Beautiful pine timber. When my father is graduated to heaven, should he go before me? It's mine. But I have no desire to move to South Mississippi and live on that back 40 that's landlocked, even though it's beautiful pine timber. I just don't have a desire. Here's my desire. And let me, let me show you some of my land for inheritance. Yeah, that's me, top of the dragon's tail there. Look at my beautiful territory. As I travel from point A to point B doing ministry, I get to drink in all of this beauty. 
That's a big panorama shot from one of those hiking trails we were on going to a Hmong church. Now, folks, I couldn't enjoy it more, the millions and millions and millions of acres that I get to view as I'm doing the ministry. Couldn't enjoy it anymore if I had the title deed in my hand. But since I don't have the title deed in my hand, I don't have to pay the land taxes. <laughs> God does all things well, doesn't he? Well, folks, that is the ministry of Faith International Partners, taking the gospel to those who have not heard. And we've got a big emphasis now on northern Vietnam, and your church is helping in a great way with that. So be reminded, every time you give to missions, God's going to give you credit. Some of these heathen are going to be part of your eternal inheritance in heaven. Isn't that great? Let's bow for prayer. Thank you.